I'm Taylor. And I'm Mackenzie. And, and we're, we're twins. twins. I like starting things and sometimes finishing them. And I love talking about television, which made us want to deep dive into TV pilots. So join us each week as we analyze, dissect, and possibly even enjoy some of television's greatest opening episodes in From the Top with Taylor and Mackenzie. Hello, everybody, and welcome to From the Top with Taylor and Mackenzie, where we talk about a different TV pilot every week. This week, we're talking about the pilot of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And though the pilot is our main subject of discussion, as always, there will be spoilers for the rest of the series. So let's have some fun. Mackenzie, start us off. Well, I'm excited because we are going to make sure we get to our burning question of the week, which is, should adults be expected to be able to use an electric pencil sharpener? I mean... I sure it, hope not, because I it's can't... It's just riveting stuff, you know? I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited. This is going to be a fun time this week because the show came out pretty recently, and we've, we'd like to talk about shows from all the way back in the, the 90s, maybe even the 80s. But here we got a show that was aired... It was aired. Is that how you say it? Um, it aired March 17, 2017 on a streaming platform. I mean, this is like brand new stuff here. So this is a prime video wow. show created by Amy Sherman Palladino of the Gilmore Girls fame. It's a fast, quippy comedy. I'm very excited to talk about it this week. What about Dan Sherman Palladino? Wait, is his name Dan? Dan Palladino, because her name is Amy Sherman Palladino. He didn't take her part of the name too? I No, he kept it. He's not a feminist. Just kidding. I have no idea. He like produces <laughs> the show, but she created it. Which is pretty cool. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, normally right here we talk about our history with the show, but uh, it's from 2017, so we were like the exact same people. We were but in our 20s. I didn't have a child. Does that change anything? Oh, man. 29. Yeah, that's a real yeah, bummer. No. 29? That is kind of crazy. How the wheel of the world turns, Mackenzie. Tomorrow we'll be like 80. And I'll be like, Mackenzie, here are some stones and brick. I don't, Do, I don't know what. Does it get why. worse in the future? Okay. <laughs> well. I don't know why 80-year-old Taylor sounded like that, but let me just slide right past that and give everyone our plot summary. Miriam Midge Mazel's perfect life crumbles when she learns that her comedy-stealing husband, asshole, has been cheating on her. Could a life of stand-up comedy be what she's truly looking for? It's a great premise. I'm intrigued. Had I not seen it, I would be intrigued. So... We like to start by talking about scene one, the very first opening scene of the episode, because when we're talking about a pilot, it's fun to look at and analyze how a show sets the tone from the very beginning moments. And Taylor, I happen to know that you love this opening scene so much. You might have even said it was probably your favorite opener of a show ever, of a pilot ever, so... I want to hear what you love about it. I won't hold everyone's in suspense. This is my favorite pilot we've gone through. Ooh. And I'm going to hold this as the standard going okay. forward. So well, I'm excited to top it at some some point. Hopefully. Because and I think that scene one sets the tone so perfectly. The very first line, I'm going to play the audio clip right here. Who gives a toast at her own wedding? They're just telling you, this character. This is the type of character who gives the toast at her own wedding. While they do go into it more, you get to ask yourself the question, 
what type of person does that? And it's clearly a boisterous, I don't want to use say like self-involved, but someone who just has a zest for life and the world kind of revolves around them a little bit. But everybody but... loves them. It's one of those things where I thought multiple times throughout this episode, do women hate her? But no, they don't. She's got tons <laughs> of friends and you'll see that throughout the rest of the series too. She's just a great enigmatic, wow, try to say that word, enigmatic person and she's just likable and i think she knows it and enjoys the attention a little but you know what's not to love she's enigmatic charismatic magnanim mag magnamatic ma magnanimous see you magnetic. know what we're doing right now something we're channeling how hard it is to be in a show written by amy sherman paladino because there are big <laughs> words and fast talking so we're just falling right in line with these actors who have to memorize scripts that are like 10 to 15 pages longer than a normal script that is a very good point. And I love thinking about this opening wedding toast as a plot device because she gets to just give all this exposition in a way that is fresh. Like, I can't think of any other time where a woman gives a toast at her own wedding, so it's original. And she gets to give you all the background of her relationship with Joel, and we just know this character immediately. We are also shown that this character knows how to deliver a line well, so if we have heard that this is about a female comic, like okay this makes sense that will come in handy later although the pilot does fall into the pilot trap this might be the one knock i'm going to give on the whole pilot three minutes in straight to boobs that that was surprising i wasn't expecting it mm -hmm. especially because she comes across as such a you know just nice girl next door and then you're like wow boobs twice actually two different pairs of boobs mm -hmm. and i'm sure there's like a metric we could use like BPM, boobs, boobs per minute. <laughs> TTB, time to boobs uh, in a pilot. That's great. You know? It's very sad that they think they need it so fast. Yeah. There is another time it's used in the pilot, and we will talk about its usefulness in that moment. But yes, it was a little shocking. Yes. I think it does show that while Midge is so perfect, perfect, guys, she's going to say this line <laughs> do you want, multiple times. Do you want me to, say, to, do you want me to play the please, audio? Please. Okay, so Midge is this perfect 50s housewife, but she's also, you know, she's not a prude. She's not afraid to take some risks, and she, she's not as nice and sweet as we totally think she is, which is going to help in her stand-up career. So I like seeing all of that in one fell swoop. There's a lot in that first scene. Yeah, she freaks out a bunch of Jewish people <laughs> by telling them that they're a shrimp in the egg rolls, <laughs> and it's hilarious. Poor old rabbi. But no, I give this an A plus for the amount of exposition they're able to dump on us without it feeling at all tired or bloated. I love it. I love it. It was very fun because you literally don't know where this show is going to go. And I will be honest and say that I have only seen the first season and then half the second season. This was a fun ride. What are you doing here recording this pilot when you should be watching it's, the rest of the show? It's true. I'm sorry. My husband abandoned <laughs> ship and I, I have been going through. I'll have a strongly worded letter to write. He doesn't think it's funny. Anyway, I know. Just it's, he likes watching things that like make his soul hurt, so it's fine. <laughs> we're we're good. <laughs> All right, because we move us on to the production history. This was a fun one to look at because Amy Sherman Palladino. We're gonna call her ASP because that's just a mouthful. Yes. yes. 
ASP has written shows that we love, like Gilmore Girls. A lot of people loved Bunheads. I haven't watched that show. And while Gilmore Girls was for, you know, the CW and like on network TV, so it's not as, can't be as gritty or swear words or boobies. Um, Yeah. (laughs) This is kind of their 2000 thing. I love the laugh, Taylor. Um, I wish you guys could see him. This is their 2017 take. And it's so it's really fun to go back and see, you know, what what couldn't they do? What else is in her head? Because there's a lot of mm. a lot of stuff up there. But ASP, she grew up in New York and her dad was a stand up comic. And she said that she grew up with a bunch of Jews sitting around trying to make each other laugh. So that was actually really fun to think about that. This is fairly you know biographical in that one way of she actually knew Lenny Bruce's mom who is a character in what? this show and is actually a real person. That's really um, So just fun to, to see this as a little time capsule of an era in her life with her funny, quirky, long-winded twist on hmm. TV. I love that Alex Borstein finally gets more of a chance to shine yes. here. She plays some weird characters on Gilmore Girls. Yes. Is she like a harp player? I forget. Yes, her name is Drella, and her. she's in the pilot, and I always hated her and thought it was so like overplayed. She's in the pilot of mm-hmm. Gilmore Girls? Yeah. Well, I guess she'll come up again in the pilot. And looking over her IMDb page, I totally flashed back to her being in the Lizzie McGuire movie. Shout out to Michaela Trot and the Lizzie McFire podcast. What a terrible movie. Um, But she also was married to Jackson from Gilmore Girls, Suki's husband from the show. So love triangle, yeah. intrigue. Well, it shows that... I mean, one's fictional and one's real. Yeah, she has a history with ASP. If you guys are wondering, Alex Bornstein, she's the lady who plays Susie, uh, the the gaslight manager. Her other funny Gilmore Girls connection is that she was actually supposed to be Suki. There is an unaired Gilmore oh. Girls pilot where she plays Suki in the role. There's pictures of it. I've, I've seen them. We'll get to that when we talk about Gilmore Girls someday. She was not able to get out of her mad TV contract. And so she was replaced by Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, <sighs> luckily. How to how to go from Mad TV to Lois to the Lizzie McGuire movie? I mean, we're glad she's here. I love this character. I remember watching her on Mad TV as like a eleven year old, and her most famous character was really not PC. Very much so. And yes. I just don't even suggest going no. back to watch it because not worth it. Well, I want to take us to our main protagonist, Rachel Brosnahan. She plays Midge and. She is not actually Jewish, which I thought was interesting. There's some, you know, pushback. She does a great job. She does a very good job. Her accent, the 50s kind of New York accent is great. I think she looks and plays the part. As always, there's pushback where people want to have representation from someone who, mm, you know, right. is is of that group. But I think she does a really good job. One thing I loved about her is she loves Survivor. She said she's watched every episode and my family loves Survivor. I'm as nerdy <laughs> as her, which is great. Are you saying that... You are as nerdy as Rachel Brosnahan or as Midge Maisel? Midge is not nerdy. So I'm going to say Rachel. Do you think she loves Survivor? Midge? Yeah, yeah. Well, no. Although she would love Jeff's dimples, Jeff Probe's dimples. That's... Aww. So she'd appreciate cute. him. No. <laughs> the other thing I will say about Midge is who she was based on. And I love this piece of show history where ASP... She wanted to represent someone like Joan Rivers. 
a Joan Rivers-esque oh. comedy lead in the 50s. And I went back and watched some Joan Rivers stand-up. Now, I only really remember her from like her like fashion roasting yeah. show with her daughter. And I wasn't really into that. But I went and watched some of her stand-up. And even in her 70s, she is really funny. And she just roasts people who are with her on the stage, just super snappy, just on the spot. And so I could really <laughs> see the you know little formations of Midge. I hope that Rachel Brosnahan went back and watched some of her comedy as an inspiration because she she was on the Johnny Carson show and she really led the way for women in comedy here. So I thought it was really smart and special for ASP to bring this Joan Rivers-esque person on the scene to represent an industry that isn't really represented by women. So kind of a fun thing in 2017 to go back and enjoy from the 50s. Seeing her wipe the floor with so many male comics throughout the series Ooh. is so satisfying. Oh, Get it, girl. It. Let me just mention, because this show doesn't have a theme song. It's kind of a bummer. Wah, wah. I can't think of a song that would work well. Maybe a listener would be like, oh, this song is about stand-up comedy. I don't know. Something from the 50s? I don't know. Mm, yeah, that thing you do. But <laughs> they do oh just use some kind of like jazzy music. Sometimes it's diegetic, a word that I'm very proud that I remember from college. I did not even know what, what does that word mean. It's when the audio is like happening like within the play or like in the scene. Okay. I'm so well, smart. Taylor's smart, I'm everyone. So smart. He's an English major. Yeah, oh. So I know many words. I know over okay. 50 words. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, they only show the, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel title card and then there's some audio. And I, mean, I guess you can say you don't need a theme song, but maybe just a consistent. I was a little disappointed because I have so much of the... If you're done, oh, the that road, is a very good point. You know, like Gilmore Girls, you know, I watched the Gilmore Girls PS before there was a Netflix skip intro. <laughs> and I did watch it on Netflix. So it was before that update. And so I watched it so many times. So I feel like I kind of earned something with mm. an ASP show to have something. That's neither here nor there. I will say that I think it's a very cute title you know picture when you if go ahead and google marvelous mrs Maisel, it's literally sparkly and it's it reminds me of bewitched oh yeah and that little you know i can imagine rachel brosnan doing the little nose wiggle because she's just magical <laughs> she could totally so play that character. i think it's a very sweet nod yeah, yeah maybe she will someday <laughs> you heard it here first okay okay well this is a great way to segue into miriam being a force of nature because she's magical mm. and that is our first key storyline Thank you very much for that segue, everybody. <laughs> yeah, normally when I think of a force of nature as a person, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to like them. But Midge Maisel is the exception, or she is expanding my beliefs, I guess. Well, she's kind of like a whirlwind that you want to get swept up in. She mm. just kind of collects everyone wherever she goes. She would you know? be such an Instagram influencer if she lived today. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that would go wrong. That would go very wrong. <laughs> And I wonder what, like, I guess they show in the in some of the flashbacks in the episode, like, Joel falling in love with her. And I just don't know what it would be like to live with her and live basking in her light. Yeah, it'd be a hard act to follow. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see her literally measuring her baby's forehead as she's <laughs> measured her, her own body and it's perfect. And her friend is, like, looking at her like, oh, my gosh, look at how skinny you are. She, it would be a lot to live up to. I think that Joel likes how she makes him look mm, yeah. or how she makes him feel like, ooh, I can get a wife like this. Right. She's and a trophy. We'll, we'll see that you are not worthy of that. Price. Ugh. Ask. Okay, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Probably one of the most fun in a shocking way 
things about this pilot that if you're going to talk about a friend with that you will probably bring up is Miriam's night cream routine and the fact that she gets into bed looking perfect, waits till her husband falls asleep, you know, takes her makeup off, puts her rollers in, and then in the morning she wakes up before his alarm, puts on her makeup, you know, spritzes herself a little lipstick, and then she pretends, literally fakes, that she, oh, did the alarm go off? I didn't hear it. And he's like, oh, you never wake up. And I'm thinking, has Joel literally never seen what you look like? If I had I, gone four years and then realized oh that my, my wife was doing this, I would feel like such an idiot. Well, I think it reflects almost more on him being like, see, this is this is my idea of who women are. Right. I'm like, dude, my husband, the day after we got married, it was like, this is who you got, bro. You're watching me tweeze my eyebrows. Like, I, I remember tweezing a chin hair a chin you know whisker in the hotel room and i was like listen bro this is what you got so you were like tweezing it and you were like come kiss me yeah yeah exactly very very craggy but on a on a positive note it's like i remember meeting my wife for breakfast one day in college while we were dating early in our relationship and she had not made herself up at all and it was maybe the first time that i had seen her like early in the morning I was like, oh, she's still so gorgeous. Right? So I mean, you want a man special. who will love you for who you actually are. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder, does she feel like she has to be this kind of woman? I think she does based on her mother, which we'll get to. It, it shows how perfect she is and also how perfect Joel wants her to be. Perfect. Yeah, every aspect of this pilot works to just shine more light on who Miriam is. And such a seamless, effortless, I guess, is the word I'm thinking of. Yes. She supports her husband in his comedy. She's better at comedy than him. She gives cookies to doormen. She is a mother, even though they wait kind of a long time to bring the kids in. I was like, oh, oh wait, they I have kids? I definitely made a little note where I'm like, and, oh, you actually have children? She brought up her children. I thought it was an excuse and they weren't real. Yeah. It was funny to actually see them. I actually thought that was funny. Yeah. I'm going to be looking for this in the future with, with other episodes we look at now. Just to see if other characters and situations are working to define our protagonist. Because it is so mm. successful here. So this is a show about comedy. And comedy is our second storyline. Beginning with Joel's crappy mockery of what comedy is. The fact that he is stealing all of his material. From Bob Newhart, who is famous. I'm like, everyone's going to know this eventually. You didn't even steal it from someone not what famous. What is his expectation? Like, yeah. The second I saw him, all I was thinking is, I don't like your face. <laughs> and I can tell that you are not going to be very funny. Even before I heard him do his stand-up, I'm like, no, you're not going to be funny. You look boring, and I don't like you. I haven't watched a lot of this show, but that's my assessment. <laughs> I'm imagining a situation where you've gone out on the town with your husband. Let's say you're celebrating your anniversary and you've had a few drinks and you're feeling all loose and you walk down the street and you see this actor and you go up to him and be like, "Oh, I see your face and no. I don't think you're funny. Yes. I don't like it. I don't like your face. I would say that to him. And when he shouts, his hair gets in his face and I'm like, comb it back. Okay. I have feelings. Can you tell? Yeah, I think he thinks that he understands comedy because, like, he knows how to go see cool comics. Like, he goes to see Lenny Bruce with Miriam, who is a real real stand-up. I did not know that before researching for this episode, so. I don't know how. Like, I know he's famous for being one of the first people to, like, really go over the line and say things 
on television to just for the effect of it right but i'm not sure how much of an actual household name he is he was arrested actually which he is in this pilot and i think will be again for his obscenity he was arrested for obscenity which is funny because i'm like have you seen what comics talk about in 2020 Mm. he was born in the wrong generation yeah different time but i'm gonna bring up a beef i have with lenny later it's okay (laughs) Now, the locale for all of the comedy in this episode is the Gaslight Club, where we first meet the wonderful Susie Meyerson. Susie. Now, okay, we can't play her opening line. We can't play the (laughs) clip. And I'm not even gonna, you know, I don't necessarily condone swearing, but the first words out of her mouth are the F word. And the way she says it, and then she immediately sasses somebody and kind of like pones them with her words that's again a perfect that's all you need to know about this character kind of like with midge saying you know who who gives their own wedding toast it just i don't know i i think as i was watching her in this episode i had two thoughts i'm gonna see what you think about Mm -hmm. these day number one so i like how much she's in the pilot she's not in it very much i feel like it would be like too much because i don't want this to be the midge and Susie show it's about midge but it's just enough that I want to see her and Midge's worlds collide because she's obviously from a very different world than Midge, like eating her beans out of a, you know, pot. And Midge being like, is this your apartment? But their chemistry is really good. I just like that they did not overplay their hand with her. And I do think that often ASP overplays her hand with quirky characters. Like, we don't need a Kirk Mm. in this very classy show. You know? Thank the Lord. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's my first thing. The second thing is I feel like Susie... She's the right amount of something, and I don't know what that is, but it's like she's not annoying, and I think she really could be. Maybe it's the Drella harpist callback in the pilot of Gilmore Girls, but she seems intriguing, and I I can't pick out why. She's the right amount of scrappy because there's something where you see her apartment and yes, I've always wanted a Murphy bed, but somehow when we realize that she's going to be Midge's agent, we know that she's going to work hard enough to make this Mm. happen. Yes. And I don't know exactly how she accomplishes that feat in the writing, but you just know she's scrappy enough to get this done like she has the experience it's kind of like when you have all the job experience from the real world but you don't have the training right you can just get it done she is, and that is she's she's got the goods and i like she's not just a little like funny side character who's playing for laughs like she's really going to be important to the storyline and we actually like who she is and we see a, a little peak of vulnerability with like i want I want my life to be significant. She has this quote where she talks about yeah. that. But it doesn't go, it's just a taste so that it's not like, wait, what are we talking about? Because this really is all about Midge and what happens to her. So we don't need that yet. So I don't want to like speak too early, but I think this pilot is, the hand is light, the touch is light in a perfect way. And their characters are really shown of who they are. And I think they just do an excellent job of that with Susie and how much Joel sucks and with Midge. Yeah. If their only goal for the episode is to make us like Midge and hate Joel, well done. But yes, bonus, we also got. <laughs> we got Susie. Do you have any other comedy things you want to talk about? I do want to quickly bring up the one bit of comedy that Miriam <laughs> writes for her husband. Oh. So let me just play it yes. real quick. Here, a hole here, two holes here. I mean, how does this happen? It's probably a moth. A moth? 
Yes. What moth? Ted. Ted the moth. Dime-sized holes. That's his signature. You think this is funny? You'll see later in the episode that he bombs when he tries this. And that is proof that comedy is half writing and half performance. The fact that he just mangles this, it's not like a ha-ha-ha joke, but it's charming, and that is where her comedy succeeds. And he is not charming at all. He exactly. doesn't know how to, and he doesn't know how to take a little thought, that a little spark, and then take it somewhere. He just needs to copy yeah. people. He's very sad. Speaking of sadness, number three, Miriam and Joel separate. Dun, dun, dun. Watching somebody burn his whole life down seemingly like mostly because he bombs at a comedy show and then he just brings up all this disillusionment like this isn't the life that I wanted and I'm like what like you have literally a perfect wife it just was poor me 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 I'm sorry can you hear how much I don't like Joel it's fine we're good there are he did he does bring something else that he also is having an affair so it's not just about his disillusionment with the comedy He's got some other disillusionment going on. So had the set gone well, he's not like, Midge, I'm riding a high. Also, I was sleeping with another woman. Right. But we'll make it work. No. <laughs> this this was the moment that he just realized, this. I want a better life, and I don't have it. Yeah, he realizes that this dream is not going to work, and without the dream, he doesn't know what his life is, even though, come on, you are a very lucky guy. You got a good life. Just <laughs> Michael Scott, prison Mike. Okay. Mackenzie, are you wearing a purple bandana? I um, am literally this... looking at a picture of Prison Mike on my desk right now, so yeah. You are predictable and wonderful. Thank you. Well, this is where we're going to answer our burning question for the week because Penny Pan does not know how to work an electric mm-hmm. pencil sharpener. Girlfriend, we have an electric pencil sharpener in my house because my kids like color pencils. And my eight-year-old broke it upon using it because he shoved the pencil in it so hard that it literally stopped working and we had to send it back to amazon amazon prime he's eight i'm pretty sure adults should know how to use an electric pencil sharpener back to joel and his existential quandary i'm just wondering did he not realize at any point that he would have to begin writing his own material like i know that he was okay i've got these crowds they're eaten out of the palm of my hand for weeks upon end. Maybe I should write a joke or two. It really does show that it's been Midge propping him up all along, giving him little tidbits of jokes, helping him to rewrite things, and then talking people into the good spot. So yeah, without Midge, he can't actually do it on his own. So of course he couldn't He's write his nothing. material. He needs Midge. Mm-hmm. He needs Midge. So after Joel walks out, Miriam is tasked with going upstairs to her parents' apartment and telling them that Yom Kippur dinner with the rabbi will not be going as planned and it is so sad i mean midge has already been apologizing to joel for some reason even though she has nothing to apologize for and she gets to her parents oh it's it feels like a really well done one act play this whole scene to me and the fact she walks into their apartment and her mother says what are you wearing it's not thinning like i wanted to slap her mom in the face yes i did She's wearing a freaking nightgown. Like, come on, mom. Again, with the introductions here, this is where we truly meet Mr. and Mrs. Maisel. Now, we've we've seen them once or twice in, in the episode before, but these introductions are so quick. We get just a little peek of who they are. I love her mom. Her mom is very concerned with image. A bit. When Miriam tells her that Joel has left her, her mom just says, why, what did you do? We hear this all the time, that women are blamed for the things that men do. 
and I kind of in a way want to roll my eyes like yeah I've heard this before but actually watching it happen is like oh my gosh you can see Miriam's whole world exploding around her like I didn't do anything yeah it was it was painful to watch my favorite part though in a in the very quirky funny way because the parents really do bring a fun quirkiness to this sad (laughs) scene when the mom is saying like they'll hear and Midge is like who and she's like them them and she like puts her heads in her hands and it's just so dramatic and outlandish and she runs away to another room it just was perfect yes and then her dad says what did I tell you my one piece of advice don't marry a weak man again putting all of this on her <sighs> you know she she's a woman who's you know, tried to please everyone. And we realized that her husband, her family, they love her because she makes their lives better. So her drunken turn at the end just makes so much sense because she's been holding everything together for everyone. And now she's being blamed. And like, what is she supposed to do but turn to the bottle, you know? There's such an iconic image of Miriam standing on the subway. Oh, she's a couple <laughs> bottles deep, it looks like, wearing her nightdress, her gown, and then she's got an empty bottle of champagne or wine or something, and she's wet, and people are moving away from her on the subway. And I'm like, actually, that feels very earned. I think mm. it's not like she's some prissy lady who can't handle reality. Her life actually was really amazing. She served so much, her parents, her husband, and then she sees that really all, they, all three of them really just care about themselves. And so her turning and eventually flying off the handle at the gaslight in front of everybody and showing her boobies alert there's another booby sighting it feels so earned and this is where i'm like guys this writing this is one episode it's one Mm -hmm. episode how could the writers of game of thrones (laughs) not done this in like six episodes when khaleesi turns spoiler alert and starts burning everybody it was so unearned so i just I did not know this was going to turn into like a Amy and Dan Palladino praise party, but I'm just very impressed because it really feels earned. This woman has been spurned and she's going to let it fly, She's been baby. burned. She's going to turn and spurn. Wait, she's been spurned. She's going to turn and burn. This is where I give the Dothraki uh, <laughs> command for, you know, fire. Dracarys. Burn them all. Dracarys. Can we please get a meme? of Miriam Maisel saying Dracarius, please. Well, there okay. should be a meme that's like that. 2020 with a picture of her drinking on the subway. Cause, mm. yeah. So her sad, lonely ride on the subway leads us into our final key storyline, Miriam's stand-up. And I love the existentialism, but still containing so much wonderful plot. Um, she walks onto the empty stage and says, So this is it, huh? This is the dream. Standing up here on this filthy, sticky stage all alone. Amy Sherman Palladino, in talking about this moment, she said that she wanted to deal with somebody who actually really loved her life and really thinks that she had it, like she had won. And we've seen it, that's earned. So then when it all falls apart, this awakens a sort of superpower in her, is what ASP said. And an ASP goes on to say that there's nothing wrong with being married and having children and being happy with that, But it's interesting because there's now this woman who's never thought outside the box and suddenly the top is off the box. Yeah, and that's what we want from a pilot is the top is off the box. What is going to happen? Right. This is the inciting incident that leads to our our change. Yeah, and you know, so often with failed pilots, it's like, so often it's like, okay, here was the inciting incident that brought this character to this situation. But now that feels like the 
status quo and it's going to stay here forever like okay now the brady bunch lives together and now let's do this same thing every time and it lacks that feeling of explosion and and mystery Mackenzie, you mentioned going back to i'm gonna say nudity i'm not gonna say the word that you used because it sounds more it sounds cuter when you say the word when i say it it sounds crass (laughs) but back to the nudity i'll go with that so miriam bears herself during her stand-up and you could certainly do the scene without actually showing anything you know show her from behind or a side audience shot or something but do you think that the storyline would be worse if her bearing herself wasn't in this at all like do you think it's integral to the plot i think she needs to get arrested because it gives her that moment with Lenny, a really amazing audio clip, which we will get to. She kind of does hit rock bottom, but in the hitting of rock bottom, it's because she's just found this superpower, as ASP calls Mm. it. So she had to do something enough to get arrested. And I just don't think that as a 2020 viewer, I'm not going to think just because she's swearing, they're going to get arrested, even though I'm sure Lenny Bruce actually got arrested (laughs) for like, talking about body parts but maybe not showing them so i think they're you know we had to know that it happened i honestly would have preferred to have not seen it the other things we saw were not full-on actual nudity or it was like really far away Mm -hmm. this was a lot and it it makes me a bit sad for somebody who is pretty young as an actress and we're gonna see her the entire rest of this series and it's like cool i've literally seen the top half of you naked i it it was a turn for people who were used to Gilmore Girls, that's for <laughs> that's sure. True. I think I think we could have seen it without actually seeing it. Yeah. And going back to the writing, her giving this drunken stand-up is, aside from being fantastic, is just a great writing mechanism. It cements who the character is, like giving a recap of the whole story for the viewer. Um, yeah. You know, all the things she did for, for Joel, keeping her body perfect and giving him his children cooking and i'm always thinking in my writing how can i make the reader forget that they're reading something or watching something and not just like being the character you know so i'm i'm jealous i mean these are two of the best professional writers in the biz so they do it very well now i will say that you talked about one of your favorite clips here that we will play in just a second and i was reading a vanity fair article today where it talks about the lorelei gilmoreness of this <laughs> specific clip and you brought that up to me before i told you that this would so be something that she would say so why don't we play that now now i'm just a single gray-haired ex-con drinking hooch and eating old nuts in someone else's shoes well if you're gonna watch any part of this pilot i would say Watch the literal beginning few minutes and then fast forward to the stand-up and totally. it would be totally fine if, if you did it with, you know, your hands over your eyes, if you don't want to see any nudity, because I totally respect that. I, I turned my eyes away, but it's very fun to, to see. It's actually funny and all of the exposition that Taylor just talked about, it'd be a fun thing to go back and look at. Well, that is our final key storyline. But speaking of actually being funny, I want to talk about stand-up within fiction like this. And how good it really is and how rare that is. Yeah. Because I think about shows like 30 Rock or Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which was disappointing in a number of ways. But yeah, both of those shows, when they showed their actual sketches, they just weren't actually funny. And it was like, well, they just yeah spend all their time writing the actual you know character relationships right. and they don't care about this. But the impact it has when you actually write good comedy in a show is amazing. 
And I'm just wondering what makes Midge so good at it. It's like, well, she has actual stand-ups writing this for her, which is helpful. I, I read a piece about Rachel Brosnahan where she comes at this comedy from like a dramatic lens and from an actor kind of studying how to do hmm. it. So she delivers it so well. I mean, she it's like the art form, the craft for her of acting and not in stand-up. And those she's, she herself said those are two very different things and she, she said she could never do it. Good for her for pulling it off so well. Now, Mackenzie, I tasked you and my, I tasked both of us earlier in the week with writing a little bit of our own stand-up comedy. And thank you for making me stressed out all week. I'm <laughs> that was not my intention. It was my hope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now I'm gonna put some laugh track into the post production to just make sure we get okay. some laughs, but I have no expectation. It Oh gosh. Go for it. I love you. You're See, the best. I feel like Joel, you're making me go first. Is this because I was born <laughs> <Yes>. first? <laughs> thank Ugh. you for justifying that. You you punk. Okay. Well, I will say that I came up with this as I had a needle in my arm. If this is bad, that's why. I was getting an IV. So I was I was typing on a phone while getting an IV. All right, I'm pretending I'm at a nightclub. Okay. All You're right. at the gaslight. At the gaslight. Please laugh. Okay. <clears throat> How's everybody doing tonight? Good. Good. All right. I see you there with the beard. Looking good. All right. Well, today I did something that probably sounds very random. I had an IV infusion of iron at my doctor's office. There was a bag of liquid iron and it drips down a tube in your arm through an IV, just like those saline bags that you see on TV, you know, in the hospital. If you've been there lately, I don't know. (laughs) The strange thing is that the iron, which sounds, okay, I'm going to get an iron IV. It sounds like something fancy. I don't know. It's just an amber brown liquid in a bag. And it looked like (laughs) Coca-Cola without the bubbles. And I'll tell you, it is strange to have something that is not clear saline being pumped straight into your bloodstream. Because I'm a super not normal person, I started thinking about what it would actually be like to have Coca-Cola in your (laughs) IV bag. And then I started thinking about which soda I would choose to have injected into my body. And apparently these are the kind of mind games that you play when you feel slightly terrified of having a needle in your arm and then watching it slowly drip down into your actual blood very quickly. Here's what I came up with. I came up with two sodas that I would deem acceptable for an IV drip and then two that get a hard pass. All right. So first, Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Now, what's in a name? Okay. This seems like a no brainer. There's doctor in the name. It was created by a pharmacist, so that just seems like a good start. And then I thought if you get the cream soda version, maybe your blood would have a slight vanilla (laughs) scent or something to it. So I think this is good. All right. Okay. Number two that I would like, Sprite. So it's clear, so you Mm -hmm. get less of the sludge Mm -hmm. color. It's more appealing to the eye. It's also very refreshing, and I drank a lot of Sprite during my first pregnancy with my son. It was Sprite and French fries was kind of my, like, these are the things I can stomach. And so maybe his bloodstream is just, like, full of Sprite. I don't know. The name itself also, to me, denotes some sort of pep in your step because, like, being sprightly is a good thing. I don't know. So then three and four, they they go together. They're the two that get a hard pass from me. Mellow Yellow and Scorch. <laughs> so... I, I don't understand why you would name a product that you'd like people to put in their mouths. Mellow Yellow and Squirt. I feel like these were both made in the 80s where quality control did not exist and people were trying to make dirty jokes and put them on a soda bottle. If you would put it in your mouth, 
I'm not going to put it in my bloodstream. And that's all I got. Thank you very much, everybody. Never doing stand-up again. I love that. Thank you, Taylor. That was so scary. (sighs) Mackenzie, I love that you bring up the idea of putting a dark cola into your body. It makes me think of Lord of the Rings when Merry and Pippin have been captured by the orcs. And they like stop and they like pour their orc drink into their mouth. And I'm like, ew, who would put like this black liquid into their mouth? I'm like, oh, that's like Coca-Cola. Now I feel disgusting. We do every day. Spoiler alert, I don't drink soda anymore. Yeah, I said it. Okay. I have the occasional Coca-Cola. I was thinking about what to do for my stand-up. And I decided to do it from the point of view of my one-year-old. And I feel, as much as I hate Joel, I feel a little bit like him because my wife came up with a couple of these. So, um... Wow. You made me do all my work by myself (laughs) while getting a needle poked in my arm? And my wife just did all the work for me. She helped me, and I'm very grateful. Good job, Lolo. All right, so here's my Freddy stand-up from my 15, 16-month-old. So you ever been walking down the street and you grab your mom's pant leg, but it's not your mom? Oh, man. You ever drool so much that suddenly it's bath time? (laughs) Seriously, though, what's the deal with adults and their phones? It's not like they have milk coming out of them. Ooh, booby reference. Okay. (laughs) But seriously, parents, am I right? Why do they get bored of peekaboo so quickly? Peeking out from behind a door will always be funny. Give the people what they want. <laughs> That's all I got. Oh, that was really See, cute. You were all self-conscious, but yours was way funnier. And I'm very I proud really like the idea of Freddie saying, give the people what you want. I kept thinking so. of what would be funny from Freddie's perspective. But, but the more <laughs> I thought about the world from the perspective of a one-year-old, I was like, this is crazy. This world makes no sense. Pant legs, phones, mm-hmm. you know. Boobies. Yeah, I love it. Good job, Tate. You know, you you went for like the the so what about is like very Seinfeld-esque. Mm-hmm. And I tried to go for like a here's a funny bit or something. I don't know. I literally tried to do what you did and I couldn't do it. All I kept thinking about is online distance learning. I'm a parent <laughs> and I'm like, none of that's funny. It's all terrible. It's, it's like a, light, a nightmare. <laughs> well, thanks for... Letting me be stressed out. <laughs> that was fun. Well, let's go into our key questions. Shall we? Woo! All right. Number one. One. It's like a dream mm. come true. Two. No. Brian okay. McKnight. Sorry. Deep cut. Uh, can I tell a quick story? Please. That's really funny that you brought that up. I was just hanging out with my brother and sister-in-law, and we were talking about weddings because he's a wedding photographer, and I was like, Joe, what was your first dance again? And he was like, um... It was back at one, and you sang it. Oh. I was like, what? (laughs) I had no recollection of even doing that. It was very rude. Did you you sing the whole song? Yeah. Guys, I just need to get the image of my cute, super white, skinny brother singing a Brian McKnight song. I love it. Taylor does have a very good voice, and he's a great musician. Well, you did have a Brian McKnight shirt growing up, and... That's all I can think about is two, you like a dream come true. Okay. Are you thinking about Brian? I know, three, I, my husband, he is very dreamy. Okay, let's get into our key questions. <laughs> Number one, does the pilot have a message? I guess the message is, are you happy with what you thought would be your perfect life? 
um is the unknown like better like more alive you know what you said about the top being blown off the box i mean that was that was asp not me well abe weissman who is miriam's father he's got the best message in the pilot for me so i'm gonna let him share that with you through an audio clip life isn't fair it's hard and cruel you have to pick your friends as if there's a war going on you want a husband who'll take a bullet for you not one who points to the attic and says they're up there now listen everything else abe says is crap he blames his daughter for her husband having an affair and leaving none of that is great but i do like the idea that you want to choose people who will be there for you thick and thin, and who will stand up for you and fight for you, not like leave the second that you can't do something for them. And that is what Joel has done. That is not Miriam's fault, but I'm saying good life advice is to try to look for that person. That is very good advice. And as much as it's a business relationship for Susie, it becomes a, I have to do this for my girl, you know? Yes, they definitely work as a team. I also thought that this... Pilot shows that you can plan your life, but you can't control how other people will respond. Hmm. You you can choose how you respond, but you don't know how other people are going to respond to like disappointment or disillusionment like Joel or how different people will respond to your own suffering like Midge's parents. So I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's a commercial for family therapy because that's <laughs> needed. But. I like that a lot. Sponsored yeah. by the American Psychiatric Association. Well, Mackenzie... Do they land on the Hudson? Are there a bunch of birds flying right into those propellers? Or do they land safely? Yeah, I like thinking about is this a smooth or rough landing? I really think this is a almost perfect landing. I mean, it is it is literally What is your perfect. birds? The only thing that doesn't... The, the birds to me is Lenny. <laughs> and I'm shocked right now. Listen, I actually... I like him as a character, especially because I know we, we see him once or twice... I don't get it in the pilot and maybe that's just me kind of having to hold on because he does play an important role in like getting her into the comedy scene. When I thought of anything that was extraneous in the pilot, it was Lenny. It didn't, Hmm. it didn't, it was like, why is he here? I don't get it. Now, learning that he was a real historical comedy figure that ASP had real relationship with is very sweet, but I don't know. What do you, why do you think Lenny's here? I, it's not that I can give you this big, this perfect explanation of why he fits into the show, but I can't understand how you think that he's wrong for it. To me, it feels like, why was Gandalf in The Hobbit, you know? Okay, he plays a leading role. (laughs) To me, it just felt like Miriam, her parents, Joel, Susie, it all made sense, and I just, I didn't see where it goes. Maybe I just need to wait and see. But that was the only rough part of the landing for me, my only birds. We know who Midge and Joel are, so their turns aren't a confusing surprise at all. And that's shown very well in Midge's type A and well-liked, but then we even see in her opening montage with Joel that she is not a prude. She's lively and funny, stand-up makes sense, and being a little raunchy makes sense. Mm -hmm. We also see that Joel, he seems pretty boring. He looks immediately like he married up and that he's very into himself and kind of a wimp. Okay, so (laughs) I, I, I think that we know who they are and their arcs seem really well constructed. So that really worked for me. The other thing is that the cast of characters are so strong 
I was expecting, because this is an ASP show, that the quirkiness was just going to be too niche or over the top. Yeah. Kind of like Gilmore Girls. I love that show, but only, like, you've got to be in the right vein to love that show. I think they just did a really appropriate job where this world feels mostly grounded in reality with a few extra, you know, colors here and there. And that really works for me. I love it, except for your birds. I just love Lenny so much. Now, you mentioned you've only seen a season and a half. I mentioned Gandalf, but yeah, he just kind of flits in and out in just like a lovely way. Hmm. And uh, yeah, he's charming. Well, you might prove me wrong. Here is my reaction to the question, did they land the plane? This is me on the plane. Wait a minute. Did we just land? I I was oh like, my gosh. are we still at 35,000 feet? It felt so smooth. Honestly... That's impressive. You know, maybe there's like a glancing bird of they didn't need all the extra nudity that pilots think they need to have. Right. But it led me to this thought, which I wrote down so that I say it correctly. Okay. Sometimes a pilot is so good, you'd almost rather that the show not be made. Hmm. I love this show, but like with any show or musician or a movie series that is in the least bit uneven later on, your dreams for it will always beat the reality. Imagine if Lost had only aired its pilot. Sure, we'd never get the hatch lighting up or not Penny's boat, but the perfect endless possibilities of the Dharma Initiative would just be amazing. So I'm yeah. thinking about the hope that is in in Midge's eyes before the credits roll, and it is just like so joyous. Yeah. Like if the show had ended there and never aired another episode, it would have been perfect. Right. Perfect. Perfect. I think I just said per- perfect. <laughs> and again, I... I love all three seasons i think they're fantastic but there is something to that it really does play a bit like a movie because so much of it is the pacing is so correct for that final moment and i really in a way do think it could be like a short story if you saw maybe she gets you know she gets signed and here we go or something that that's an interesting thought to think about where she goes from here i like that taylor well we love this pilot so much who is the breakout star? Come on. Come on. Come on. It's obvious, right? It's the bras. I, do you think she gets called the bras? Right. I, no, I don't think anyone <laughs> has ever called her that. Are you talking about Rachel Brosnahan? I am Brosnahan talking about Rachel Brosnahan. Okay. Have you watched House of Cards? No. I wouldn't. Yeah. Kevin Spacey, problematic. No thanks. Yeah. I mean, it was a powerful show many times. It made you be like, politics are so gross, I want to kill myself. But she... Yikes. <laughs> Hashtag 2020. Yeah. Okay, go but ahead. But in the House of Cards, Rachel plays a character named Rachel Posner, who is a very oh. sadly beaten down woman. Ooh. And she just... Wow, she, that'd be interesting. Yeah, she just felt like a small mouse who didn't know how to get out of the cage she was in. And I remember watching mm. the pilot the first time for this show and being like, what like like it is impossible that this is the same woman and i'm wondering now if i went back and watched house of cards and saw her on there if i would be like what how is this not that boisterous charismatic woman you know she lent herself to being so magical Mm -hmm. and the only critiques i've really seen of this show is that like she's too perfect and even her downs she like comes up so quickly and you know she like almost doesn't face a lot of adversity I, I don't believe that because even the, it's hard for her to get into comedy. Yeah. Anyways, she makes things so fun in all of her amazing clothes. And yeah, she carries herself so well. So 
I am excited to see where she will go from here and oh what else she could get cast in because I do think oh, we could definitely see her in comedic and dramatic roles pretty easily. Definitely. Okay, I'm going to make an argument because Rachel is so, like, duh, she's the breakout star. I'm going to make an argument for Alex Borstein. Hmm. We talked about her before. She's the one who plays Susie, so I, I won't go into it too much. She is a longtime working actress. I'm thinking in terms of being a supporting character that so many people are going to remember and like now she's so recognizable totally i'm very excited to see where she goes i in preparation for this episode i watched her emmy win she won an emmy for best supporting actress and she's won emmys before for her voice work with lois on family guy but i think it's i'm sure that's an amazing feat and i don't want to belittle that at all because that takes a lot of true acting but to watch her walk up on stage, she did a little shimmy. I just was like so proud of her. For someone who has been a working actress for so long, it just feels so cool to really shine. And there's nothing played against like, she, yeah, she's playing with a woman who's like 20 years younger than her. They're never pitted mm. against each other. It's not about that at all. Alex Borstein in herself is funny and vulnerable and just, I think she's just really endearing and intriguing. And I'm excited to see what other kind of things she could play because I think I think what we missed in Gilmore Girls with her her Drella show up there is she tries to be gruff in a way that's just not believable and so I think her being vulnerable (laughs) and gruff it works so well here I'm excited to see what happens for her after this well that was a very well thought out argument I was like who's she gonna say if it's Joel I'm kicking off this podcast and it's gonna be like I'm Taylor and this is from the top with Taylor and no one Wow, that was a sick burn. No, Joel is those people that are like, um, you have a face for radio. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what a burn. Mackenzie, let's get to the big one. Who is your twin of the episode? Speaking of big, mine's the baby with the big forehead. <laughs> uh, Wait, really? Yes. Guys, you should have seen me as a baby. My head was so big. I don't, I don't think I'm exaggerating it at all. You can back me up here. I didn't walk till I was two. Now, I had some health problems, okay? My head was so big, I, like, leaned over. I, I'm wondering if our mom was ever tempted to use a tape measure on us, but... I do love the home videos where we're little babies on oh the blanket, gosh. and I'm, like, rolling around, and your head is... You can't get it off of the I'm leaning on you for support. It's adorable. My sweet twin brother. Aww, the only other person man. I could think of would be Susie because she like hides her vulnerability under swearing and I do that sometimes. But I'm nowhere near as sparkly as Midge and I'm not a huge butthead like Joel or her parents. So I wondered if you would say Imogene because I, you're just a couple of just adorable little blondes. I did. I did think about that. And she's a good friend. She's supportive and will go to someone's nightclub and watch someone bomb and still encourage them. So that's probably, it's the baby (laughs) or Imogene. Who is your twin, Taylor? If you say Joel, then this is from the top with Mackenzie. Okay? (laughs) This was definitely the hardest decision. Yeah. Twin-wise. Because Joel is such a piece of (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I wanted to say, okay, in seasons two and three, he has a great story arc where he suddenly becomes likable somehow. Hmm. It was shocking. I thought maybe I could be season two Joel. I have dreams that I haven't fulfilled yet that I want to get to, but I don't feel that my wife is holding me back, so that's very different. 
But yeah, I just can't say Joel, and I feel like he's the closest. So I'm gonna say Archie, his friend, who's kind oh of gosh. the pilot, Who, his coworker. Um, Imog- is yes. that Imogene's husband? Yes, Archie and Imogene. And there is like a bit of Midge in my heart. You know, she's always trying to be the the happy lifeline for people, and I know I do that. She's, I think, much more wounded than me, and it like she becomes a comic. I mean, that's how so many comics yes, are born right. is because they Out of their wounding. are escaping. Yeah. I think there and... is a little Tony Shalhoub in the way that, that's the dad, in the way that you have some just really great one-liners and you're very smart, but you're not a butthead. So. Yeah, maybe I'm Tony Shalhoub when he joins the, the hipsters later on. Ooh, I can't wait for that. But yeah, I'm just going to go with Archie for now. It's tough. It's tough. Okay. We're heading into our final question. Would you pick up the show? Now, this is the moment, Taylor, I want you to put yourself in an amazing 50s trench coat with a cool, like, Perry Mason hat. Because that's what executives wore in the 50s. I don't know. Was there a TV? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Sort of. They watched TV. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I know my timelines. If you watch this pilot, would you greenlight it? I just have a quick question. You only mentioned my trench coat and hat. Am I a flasher who's only... <laughs> I don't know what suit you're wearing a suit because men wear suits. I don't. <laughs> okay. I don't know fashion. I say most certainly. I think this is a fantastic pilot, and I would pick it up and I would say to ASP and Rachel Brosnahan, as long as you two are having fun, keep doing this. Because as long as you two sparkle, hmm. this is going to be yeah a show that people will have to pay to be Amazon Prime members to watch. Right. And a quick note, like we haven't really talked about this and I want to make sure we touch on it is that I can't think of a show that has such strong character arcs for every character. Hmm. Not that any character arc is needless. Like you don't want to have any static characters, but the way in which her father, Abe and her mother Rose and even her sister, who's a small character and Joel and everyone has an up and down arc that just sketches them so fully. I'm just amazed. You can't see it, but I'm, I'm on the floor and I'm bowing to ASP and Dan for creating wow. this. The writing is just so that solid. That is high praise. And it really is taken up a notch from the Gilmore Girls. Not that there was anything. I, I love that show. And yes, the characters on there are often unlikable, but it was so great for what it was. But this is such a, I don't know, it's just a more mature, glitzy experience that they're offering viewers. Right. So, mm-hmm. wow, high praise there. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Mackenzie. Will you give me a cute 50s outfit? All right, the year is 1954. You're one of these fast-talking career gals. That sounds Ooh. a little sexist, but... I like it. I could be a fast-talking career gal. <laughs> it is 1954, like it. so whatever. You are wearing a uh, kind of a, a bell, more of a bell skirt. Um, okay. You got a... I really like your attempts. Like a sash. Like a s- <laughs> Wow. Okay. So I am wearing a really cute hat and a awesome, thank you, an awesome pencil skirt. And I've got a really cool house coat over it, like Midge's, except, you know, fancier. Maybe the, maybe the house coat, the fur coat that Jane Lynch's terrible character gives her. Okay. Not terrible. It's well acted, but she's a punk. Okay. I I just want to keep thinking about the outfits. Guys, the outfits in this show are so good. Okay. There is just nothing in this pilot that makes me not want to pick it up. It is so good. It offers a female protagonist who is so intriguing, 
who is somewhat, you know, out of reality in terms of all the wealth and she's like yeah. got to live in nanny and all of that stuff. But I actually still am concerned with her and I want to see where she goes. And then those supporting characters, not only the, you know, pedigree of like Tony Shalhoub, he's just so great. I love him yes. and who he becomes. But I think those people around Midge, but comedy scene in the 50s in New York, there's just a lot of good things going for it of where you could go. So I kind of trust that all those things that are built in, I you can take me wherever you want to take me because between the setting and the characters and the actors themselves, we probably got a winner. On I love it. And we can handle a little bit of Lenny and Joel <laughs> being in here. If they want to redeem those characters, that's great for me. I am curious, even as a viewer myself, who has not you know, made it through what is on fully on air right now. It seems like they stayed their hand in terms of quirkiness. It is not too weird. It's like when you're watching 30 Rock, you love the amount of zany because it's Tina Fey. That's the world they've set up. Yes, exactly. I'm excited for more. Well, McGillicuddy, that was marvelous. Woo! Miss May is all okay. <laughs> Analyzing a pilot that is so successful is fun and it's I think it's gonna make the bad ones even more fun or maybe it'll make the bad ones feel even worse like you're nothing like Mrs. Maisel right because this was Mm -hmm. flawless this is the new standard we'll just be like is it like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel Mm -hmm. no you're out we'll be like this one's such a joel well and you know what I will say to our listeners if you haven't watched this show or if you didn't love you know the rest of the series Go back and watch the pilot. You don't even have to like the rest of it to appreciate what this pilot offers as a pilot itself. So if you like to analyze TV or if you're thinking about other shows of like, was this good or not, this Mm -hmm, might be your litmus mm -hmm, test. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As always, let me tee up next week by playing the theme song for our next show. Well, thanks everybody so much for listening this week. We love dissecting these pilots together and it is so fun to share it with all of you. If you have enjoyed our podcast, there are three easy ways you can share and interact with us. First, make sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Second, share our show with a friend and leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app. These reviews actually help people find out more about our show. Finally, we love interacting with you. We want to hear about which pilot you want us to analyze next or your twin of the episode, or if you've got a beef with any of our opinions. So come find us at fromthetoppod.com and on Instagram and Facebook at fromthetoppod. Thanks again, guys. We hope you had a lot of fun and we'll see you next week on From the Top with Taylor and Mackenzie. Mackenzie.